Today on the podcast, we're talking about flexible working. More and more, I'm having conversations with leaders right in the middle of this discussion around returning to the office. What does the new world of work look like? And what sits at the heart of flexible working? My guest is executive coach and author Connor O'Malley, and he told me that trust is at the heart of going back to the office. So today I give him a call to explore why. Hello? Hi. We'll do it live. Do it live! I'll write it and we'll do it live! Ten. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, lift off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author, and mentor from Melbourne, Australia, and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network, and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now, through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really, the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders. Joining me on the phone today is Connor O'Malley. He is an executive coach for leaders who want to learn to be more effective leaders in their business, their team, and in society. He's often been referred to as the CEO's caddy with a wealth of experience operating and coaching in the C-suite. He's the author of the newly released book, Trust Begins and Ends with Self, and I'm so excited to have him on the phone. Connor, a big warm welcome to the podcast. It's so nice to have you on here. Oh, Shane, it's a, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be here. And uh, I, I do hope the conversation we have is of uh, great insight and interest to uh, to your listeners. I have no doubt that it will be. And, and I know your, your day today has been um, full of conversations um, in different parts of the globe. And so I'm just privileged that you'd make some time to, to be with me. One of the things I love doing at the start of all my podcasts is some fast facts and helping people to yeah, get to know you a little bit more. And so the three questions I ask is, um, where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do with yourself now? Where was I born? I was born in England. Um, and that is uh, something that I'm proud of. And at the same stage, also, it's uh, as a Scot, um, having lived all of my life in Scotland and a father who's a Scot and a mother who's uh, from Ireland, I describe myself as a Scot with an uh, Irish name and an English accent, um, which is in part from being born in England. Uh, my first job was as a management trainee in a uh, third-party logistics business, a company called Christian Salverson, which is a Scottish firm um, that works in, you know, for the listeners, picture a toll or a linfox. So in that world of third-party logistics, and I joined their management training scheme. And what do I do now? I have the privilege of working as an executive coach with CEOs and C-level leaders and also next-gen leaders, um, helping them uh, in their own self-awareness and understanding their own drivers to help shape how they see the world to be the most effective leader that they can be, both personally and professionally. So what does that look like to go from from being around trucks and sheds to now operating in the C-suite? Like, track us through some of your journey that led you to take that transition. If you, if you take the C-suite from a supply chain perspective, uh, many, many companies, most companies of products and services uh, will have a supply chain director on their executive team, which is indeed, you know, the role that I um, left, uh, you know, in, in Australia four years ago, um, being a chief operating officer of a third party logistics business and the you know, head of supply chain, if you like, for a, a fast moving consumer goods business. 
So the journey for a supply chain director and leader, I'd say, is in many respects very similar to anybody who who gets to the C-suite. Um, you know, a technical competence leading to understanding this almost inverted triangle of leaving that technical competence and growing as a as a leader that influences and, and shapes the lives of others through your decisions, um, such that, and here's my definition of a leader, Shane, such that those people choose to follow you. Um, and if they choose to follow you as a leader, um, more often than not, they will implement the directives, the vision, and the you know uh, plans, if you like, that uh, that you've laid out for them, and and you've co-created with them. Um, I remember someone we were having a conversation once in a training workshop around people were saying, okay, so what are the the skills that might get me promoted to leadership? And we were like, well, I mean, they're helpful conversations to have, but the better conversation to have is, well, what makes me a leader worth following when I find myself in that position? Um, And we could talk about that probably all day. Um, We could because it's a leadership conversation. But one of the things I want to talk quite a lot about um, is the last 12 to 18 months, uh, more specifically the last 12 months, the world has you know, in many ways flipped upside down, turned around. We've kind of got this new way of working in so many ways. And you know, some of the the conversations that you would be in right now, especially operating within that C-suite. Um, so I know that there's people who listen to the podcast who aren't in that executive leadership role, maybe more people leadership roles. And there may be others who are listening to this who are in those C-suite roles. And it's it would be really um, insightful to hear the kinds of conversations that are taking place within that environment right now. Um, and what are some of the things that you're noticing? What are some of the things that you're hearing are really important to some of those teams in a time like now? I think at the early part, there was a real, uh, so sorry, the early part, what do I mean by that? Of, of COVID. So let, let's take, here we are in, you know, February, 2021, let's go back to, uh, you know, March, Jan, you know, February, March, the early part of COVID, especially from an Australian perspective. And, and one of the key challenges that I, you know, observed and heard was how do we be seen as leaders when we're, uh, in our own living rooms, in our own studies, this notion of felt leadership. So it's a very much a safety term from a DuPont world in terms of being present and um, being able to be seen and have those conversations, if you like, on the shop floor, especially from the world that I would have come from in a manufacturing or, or retail or distribution environment. That has been a real challenge for leaders with regards to um, being seen and that, uh, that notion. What also has emerged from that for me is those leaders who, if I'm honest, actually hide behind that um, and saying that you have to be seen to be busy. That's fascinating. Which I challenge. And, you know, what what I see now and and, and I think it's emerged is a couple of things. Uh, the, the, The doers who do by doing and getting outcomes by, you know, really performing as opposed to doing a lot of the talking are actually being more recognized. And in the early, again, if we go back to March, April, May, even last year, those individuals who, uh, let's say, were always heard, um, but not, you know, many of them do kind of obviously deliver, but not necessarily all of them deliver, you know, their voice was becoming less, less heard, if you like, because it's about delivery of outcomes. So in you know, through the COVID era, uh, era of last year, I think there's been a lot more resonance, focus put on the delivery of outcomes as opposed to this notion of presenteeism. I love that thought, especially because what we've noticed over the last 12 months 
is um, there has been this shift in in priorities that um, is essential for every leader to navigate. But I think it's it's come to the forefront in the last twelve months, which is this priority shift from how do I go from um, from a focus on output quantity, which is how much work do I do to the focus on outcome quality, which is, are we achieving the right things? And I think that's a leadership shift that needs to happen, but kind of by um, the environment that we found ourselves in, we've had to kind of weigh out which of these two really matter to us in an organization. Is it that we can see people doing the work or is it that we can see the outcomes that the work is producing and which of these are becoming more important? Are you noticing something like that? Oh, very much so. Very much so. Um, which, you know, I, I'm sure we'll probably get to this word, uh, you know, through our conversation um, is is around trust and, and how do leaders trust their teams and individuals in their teams. Um, but before we get there, if I may, something else that I've observed is the importance of language. Now, it's like, what, what does that mean? You know, we, we use language all the time. Yes, for sure we do. However, the coffee uh, conversation, the corridor conversation, the water cooler conversation, however you want to term it, that has not been possible. Now, that is a challenge. And, and in terms of what is the work of the future looking like and how do we have those corridor conversations, which are critical? Absolutely. However, the challenge has been for leaders to be more purposeful in their use of language. And that's certainly something that in my coaching profession, I've been working with leaders to facilitate, uh, support them, be more purposeful in their language. And, you know, something I uh, bring to the world, if you like, through, through my coaching practice is this, this distinction, this notion of types of conversations. Um, and, and the starter for that, as people who, who might know my work, is hashtag for the sake of what. So really asking ourselves as leaders, you know, for the sake of what am I about to have this conversation? And then what is the purpose? What is the uh, what is the outcome, I should say? What's the KPI of my conversation that I'm looking for? Now, Shane, that can even be what was the water cooler conversation. How are you? How is your weekend? And what I found is working with leaders that they can choose to have this type of conversation for that very outcome, for that very purpose. And it, it becomes a more purposeful conversation. And then as as things have moved on in COVID, um, I've seen leaders actually say, well, that's maybe not for Zoom. That's maybe not for Teams. That's more of a phone call. And, and the irony is that through the back end of the last year, I found that the phone has been used more for different types of conversations. And Zoom and Teams has been used more for other types of conversations where perhaps it's more outcome focused or, you know, uh, using different ways of, of uh, seeing possibilities and having workshops uh, over Zoom. So that that's the other thing I would say, notwithstanding this notion of trust in teams, but also the purpose, purposefulness, if there is such a word, of the types of conversations that leaders are having and how purposeful they are in their choice of language and their choice of words. I love that question. For the sake of what am I having this conversation? I, I generally, ref, um, when I'm talking about that, I, th I think through the language of intent before content. What What is the purpose that I have to deliver a message or deliver an idea or to build a connection? What's the intent that sits around that? And then what what's the content that sits, sits behind that as well? And I, I, what I like that you've touched on here is the, the ability for a lot of the 
um, I guess we, we think about a lot of the context in which we might have these conversations. So the water cooler conversation, the hallway conversation, and we think that the environment is what actually makes that a valuable experience. But I think what I'm hearing you say here is actually it's the intent and for the sake of what you're having that conversation for that actually could be done in different environments and in different ways, but still achieve the same intention or purpose. I, I would I would say so, yes. Um, which brings me to that this notion of being present and and you know from a story perspective and one that i i'm i'm not proud of to share from a leadership perspective myself uh working you know as a senior leader major major retailer um you know i, I did try to let's say walk the floor and have conversations and check in and you know my intent was very very sound However, I know at times my head was so full of next meeting, next thing that I wasn't truly present. And I remember this one particular time I was having a conversation with a lady and, uh, you know, how are you doing and how was the weekend and so on and so forth. And I, and I know I'd just come from a particular meeting where, you know, supply chain had probably dropped the ball or I'd had, you know, been beaten up for the supply chain dropping the ball in some context or whatever. And I thought, you know, that we'd had a good conversation. I, I'm humbled by later on, at the end of the working day, this lady came up to me and said, Connor, um, thanks very much for the conversation we had earlier on. Do you, do you remember the conversation? Do you remember what it was about? <laughs> and I, I was sitting at my desk and she was standing up and I looked at her and I went, no, I, I hum, you know, truly embarrassed. And she went, I didn't think so. And, and I know we, I know, and we know why you have these conversations but can I ask you please to not have the conversations if you're not going to listen or you're not going to be present? And it was, it was a chastening and humbling experience. And, and, and I guess I'm also very proud of the fact that a team member could actually come to a senior leader and actually say that at the end of the day. Um, and I've never forgotten that. And, and what that takes me to is even though our intent is there, the environment was there, the delivery was a shocker. Now, had I been more purposeful in saying I'm going to have a conversation, you know, for the sake of what, to say good day, how are you, how are you going on, how are you feeling, how was your weekend, and really be present for that, can I do that in a way equally as well through Zoom or Teams or on the phone as standing by this lady's desk? Absolutely. Fascinating. And gee, I could feel, I almost sat with you in that, in that place when that conversation, it must've felt like it hit you between the eyes hearing that it feedback. Did. It did. It and did. I think it's, it's kind of leading us into this important conversation that I'm hearing quite a lot from, from leaders at the moment, which is, you know, in, in many ways, 12 months ago, we, there wasn't anything we could do to control the um, mobilization of our workforce. So there wasn't much we could do when all of a sudden we went, okay, everyone's working from home. Now we're working in lockdown. Everything's moving to Zoom. There wasn't much that we could do other than to react to that kind of situation. But now we're in a different stage. I feel like in many ways we're approaching this remobilization of people, which is how do we bring people back into um, some sense of normalcy, whatever that even looks like, but they're now sure. having to, having conversations around, okay, well, what does flexible working look like for our teams? And I think we're coming to this question around going, how do we bring people back to the office? And there's some people saying, well, everyone should come straight back to normal and work full-time in the office. Other people saying, well, no, let's get rid of the office altogether. And they're saying everyone should be able to work from home. And there seems to be this internal conflict around a lot of these conversations. And generally what I've found is when there tends to be these kind of big conflicts around the conversation, we're probably, there's another conversation that's sitting below that, that we really need to be able to address. And I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts around what does this look like bringing people back to 
to work, bringing people back to the office. What's your general perspective around this? Well, like you having those conversations, Shane, I am too. Um, you know, not only in the coaching room, but you know, to be honest, I, I'm a golfer, not a great one. Uh, however, was having this conversation the other day at uh, you know on the golf course. So it, it it is a very topical conversation. And as you you didn't say this words, but my listening to what you said is there's a pendulum. Oh, let's everybody in the office. No, no, uh, you know, complete flexibility, everybody out of the office. Well, as ever in life, you know, it, there's, there's, it's, you know, it's not the pendulum. It's not e- each end of the axis that, that holds the, the, you know, the right answer. Um, so what would I say in response to this? Well, first of all, I do hope, and I know that many businesses are, but I also know that many businesses are not having the conversation I can't help myself here. Hashtag for the sake of what? Do we want our staff to be in the office? What is the purpose? What is the point? What is an office environment for in this new working world? In part, that I think, or not more than in part, that's the question I think that needs to be asked. However, underlying that is then um, this notion of trust is, is, is how do we trust our workforce, using a broad term, to actually deliver on what it is that we want them to deliver on? And do we need to see them to, um, for them to deliver on their commitment to you know, a request, if you like, or a, a deadline or a, you know, something that they're asked to do? And in some cases, yes, but in many cases, not. And I think that you know, it is clearly proven that the wheels of commerce globally um, have turned by people working from home. Um, so we, I think we ought to recognize that. And there's also something else that I do know, and I think it's been more of a younger generation thing, to be honest, and, and single people, where there have been challenges for those individuals working from home. So in part, the answer might be, we'll provide you the opportunity to come into the office, not because we want you to be there per se to deliver, but perhaps your environment, your home environment, isn't conducive to working from home. And we recognize that. Now, again, I think that's a different conversation. That's about legitimizing the the person who works in your team or your organization and understanding in a broader context their both personal and professional life. Um, so there's so many elements to this, Shane, that, that I hope that more and more businesses and leadership teams have these conversations, which will be quite robust and quite challenging uh, for certain leaders who have a certain style. Yeah, I agree. And I th- I'm glad you, you've used the word trust for a couple of reasons. The, the first reason is you've written a great book on trust. Um, and so it's very, very um, helpful for us to take the conversation into that territory and have that conversation about this. But one of the other reasons that I love that you've brought this up is that you said something to me um, that I wrote down when we were having a call a few weeks ago. And I've had this in the back of my mind, thinking a lot about it and going, I'd love to hear you expand on this a little bit more. And it was this idea that you said, trust is at the heart of going back to the office. So like we're having conversations around bringing people back to the office. You said trust is at the heart of all of this. And I'm very curious to hear um, you expand on that a bit more. Like what does that mean for you? And and why, why is trust at the heart of going back to the office from your perspective? Two responses, which, which in a way come to a definition of trust. Um, one of which is a verb, which is delivering on your commitments to self and others. So that is what uh, a description of trust is as a verb, which is delivering on your commitments to self and others. Now, in an office and a work environment, we have to deliver on our commitments. We are asked to do things 
and how do we deliver on them? That is a core essence of trust. And then in a more descriptive way in terms of, uh, let's say, a noun, you know, uh, what are the factors of trust? Well, I, I believe there are a number and I call it the risk framework. So R-I-S-C-C-C, reliable. Is the person reliable? Am I invested in that person in terms of trusting them? Do I invest myself into them? Is it for them? And am I sincere in my investment? And then the three C's are, I must be consistent in that investment in them, in how I trust them. And then the other two are about an assessment. Does the person have the capability and does the person have the capacity? Now, Shane, I reckon you can apply that risk framework to a decision-making tree, if you like, uh, of going back into the office or not. And if somebody can do their job, ticking the boxes of, you know, the I, not so much the S, uh, sorry, of the I and the S, because that's about me thinking about you, but the, the, the R and the three Cs, if they tick those boxes, then we can get their job done because they'll deliver on their commitment. So that, that's a couple of ways of answering your question, which comes from almost a definition of what is trust and applying it to this decision-making process. I love this, this idea. And I think it brings us back to where we started this conversation around this idea of we think that in many ways, visibility of our people uh, means automatically the reliability of those people. But I think what we're learning more and more is actually it's more than just the observations of what we can see uh, that a person's doing and actually moving more towards the outcomes of what a person's doing. And I think one of the, there's a really great quote that I love in your book. You said that as a leader, you must place trust in those you lead, um, where we often tend to think about it the other way around is as a leader, I'm required to be a trusted person. And we put the focus on ourselves, but this is also a Indeed. process of trusting others as well, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and and I would say against against that uh, that uh, those factors, um, and that so somebody says so Connor, how how can I, you know, um, determine whether I trust somebody or not? Uh, you know, without repeating the the risk, you know, word by word, I would I would point them to this notion of the risk framework or you know which is in itself an assessment it's a set of beliefs i love being able to take an individual and run them through this kind of risk profile um so to speak and say okay is this person reliable are they capable have they got the capacity i like doing that i feel like that's easy enough to do at an individual level but what does that look like at a group level so like looking at if we've got 500 or a thousand employees how do you run that filter across this i would start with the you know i'm one for 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 letters and words i would start with a dyc which is deliver on your commitment so be it an individual or be it a team or be it a business um does you know so let's say i'm a procurer of third-party logistics services of Let's pick a toll or a linfox for the sake of argument or the businesses I used to work for in the UK. You know, does this organization deliver on its commitments? And they're measurable because you you understand, you, you create a, a bond, certainly a contract, but you create a bond of what those commitments are. So I think at a, at a macro level, um, you can hold that uh, criteria against which you can make the assessment. Um but then there's something else that, I, if I may share in the book, this notion of what I call collective trust, which is more from, let's say, within. So, so if what I've just shared is about an observation about does somebody else, you know, deliver on their commitment, this idea of collective trust is is almost from within, and I think a common element of this idea of collective trust within the team 
is, is do we have a common purpose? Do we have a common intent? Are our standards known and do we live to our standards? And how do we know we live to our standards is through our behaviors. So that would be a way that I would say from a team perspective, we can hold ourselves to account and be held to account by others. So do we deliver on our purpose? Do we know our purpose? You know, what is our intent? If it's more for us than it is for others, then I would challenge that because we should be operating for others to provide value for others, whatever that is as an output of a team. Do we know our standards? And so much I find that that, that is a, a, an under, undervalued area that, that leaders don't set their standards out, live by their standards themselves, or indeed ensure that the team you know, have a common set of standards. And then the last one is around behaviors as opposed to uh, values are very important, Shane. I think values are critical and our behaviors come from our values. But I think in terms of a demonstration of the values, it comes through the behavior. And we can be held to account by ourselves within a team and also by others who interact with our team through our behaviors. I agree. I, I love values from the perspective of they, they provide this guide, um, this uh, these guardrails around the, the decisions that we make. But often one of the things that goes missing is that missing link between the value and the behavior. So we might yeah. say that we all value um, honesty, but we all have a different interpretation of what honesty looks like in practice. What does honesty look like when it shows up in a team? And how does it look for our IT team, IT team versus our marketing team versus our service delivery team? Like what are the, like how does it show up for us? And I think including the behavioral conversation is how would we identify this if we saw this value in action is, a, is an important conversation to have. Um, so yep. I want to ask you this question because again, I, sure. I, I'm loving where this is going in terms of um, this is a it's a conversation about trust. You know, when it comes to we often think it's a conversation about flexibility, which is right. How do we provide more flexible working arrangements for our people? And what you're touching on here is actually that the, the conversation we need to be having is do we trust our people um, and do our people trust us as a leaders? And so we kind of have these kind of nice frameworks to be able to have this conversation around. But what if you are a leader? What if you're a leader on a team of a team right now and you're listening to the podcast, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure that I do trust my team to be able to work remotely or to be able to have the kind of freedoms afforded of flexibility. Where do you think that comes from? And and how do you start to shift and become, I guess, more trusting of people? Or I don't know, like, what do you feel? What do you do if you find yourself in that place where you're not really sure if you trust two people? Well, that has taken me straight to the, and it's not to plug the book, but it is to take the title of the book, which is Trust Begins and Ends with Self. Also, to be fair, you you wrote a book, which is actually should be well and truly celebrated. So uh, I, having written a book myself, knowing how much time, energy and investment goes into writing the book, you definitely shouldn't feel for a moment um, uh, concerned about going to reference it because there's oh, so much you. great thinking in the book. So um, feel free to dive into it as much as you feel like it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm going to dive straight into the, the title, Big Trust Begins and Ends With Self. So my response to you is if I'm that leader and I'm wondering uh, how to or why I don't trust my team, uh, I would strongly advise that uh, you look at yourself first. And and how do I do that? Well, I then would answer that question by saying, what are your stories? Um, and Shane, something I you know share in the book and talk about is is that we live in our stories, and our stories live in us. So what does that mean? I love we that. We all have by a way. self. Thank <laughs> I absolutely you. Absolutely love that. Thank you. So we all have a self narration, you know, which is um, 
our beliefs and and what we say to ourselves. So in our, you know, I would say in our own inner listening, you know, we, the irony is about listening is that we listen through language because we actually talk to ourselves. Um, so it's it's listening to my own stories and breaking them down. And there's you know two ways or two two depart uh, two ways to break it down is wh- what are the facts, what I would call assertions, and what are the beliefs, the the narratives, what are the assessments. Now, you know, if I just, here we go. So I lived in this house from this date to that date. Fact. That house was a nice house. Belief. Now, this is what we tend to say. I lived in this house from, from this date to that date, and it was a really nice house. Now, I would say most of us would say that is a truth. We've tacked that it was a really nice house on to the fact that we lived in that house from those days to those days. It's, you can split it in two. So I would say to the person, what are your stories? What are you telling yourself? What's your self-narration? Why is it that you might not be able to trust that person and or that team? Have you got your own set of stories around what it is to trust or not to trust? And is there somewhere that you can find? Now, I really want to acknowledge if there's any listener here that you know this could be going into a space of... Um, psychology or a space of counseling and then the work that I do from a coaching is not in that space however it is at a in a relatively or in a deeper space of understanding our own way of being part of which is our own stories so that's the first place I would go if I was that leader going why do I not trust this person or that person is my own stories and thereafter I would look for the evidence of why this person is or team is trusted or not and the first place I would go is, do they deliver on their commitments or not? And here's the irony, Shane. If I'm the one who's asking them to do certain things, in other words, let's say making a request of them, and I go, hmm, there's a theme here. Every time I ask somebody to do something, they don't deliver. And it's not just Johnny or Mary. It's Peter and Bill and, and Flo. Hmm. Maybe my ability to make requests and gain a commitment from somebody is actually not very good. So again, I would say, look at oneself and how effective am I at asking people to do things? Because typically, if you know, if you look at leadership, we're doing we're we're doing more asking than we're doing more offering, and that's a whole other subject of of, mm. of uh, the balance between requests leaders make and offers leaders make. But that's another conversation altogether. <laughs> but I think what you're touching on here is that if you were to um, identify some patterns of behavior or the evidence or the evidence gathering that you're talking about. And you started to see that a person was not delivering on their commitments. It actually doesn't necessarily mean that they are, um, in terms of being able to be in the office or at home, it's actually a different conversation. It's a, it's a conversation around the, them being able to deliver on the outcomes of their work, not necessarily whether it's a conversation about should you work from home or should you work in the office? Is, is that kind of what I'm hearing? I- yeah, that's exactly what uh, I'd say. That's exactly what you're hearing, which comes back to then a different conversation, which is why do we need to be in the office? And, and I'm not saying we don't. We do. But it, it comes back to a broader conversation about what's the purpose of being in the office. Um, and it's a lot broader than somebody doing or not doing their job. What hopefully we're, this conversation is helping a person to do and reflect on whether they're, um, you know, whether they've made the decision to go one way or the other is to reflect on, is it possible that my um, degree of trust in my people could be influencing the decision to go one way or another? 
in this. Um, and I think it's and it's an important conversation. If we're going to have a conversation about flexibility, we probably first need to have a conversation about trust. Is that kind of what I'm getting in this? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the stories piece of this is just so, so, so important. Um, I did uh, in last season of the podcast, I, I talked with um, Cameron Schwab and we were talking about belief and beliefs. And he said, um, it's really important that we take time to examine our beliefs and ask myself, like, is this is this true? And is this is this helpful yeah. to have? Um, yeah. And I know Lisa O'Neill said the same thing. Be careful of your beliefs because like your beliefs and your energy are, are contagious. And so we sometimes take on and adopt other people's beliefs. And so you talked about the, the self-narration um, yeah. and the stories we tell ourselves. Where do these stories come from? Like, where do we build these stories? Uh, so I'm sure most of the listeners will, will be very well aware of a Venn diagram. So my, my response to, to where stories come from is a, a Venn diagram, and the first circle is culture. So we are born into a culture. There is absolutely nothing we can do about that. So, you know, I'm born into a British culture. Um, you know, uh, we haven't gone back to your childhood, but I, you know, I'm born into, you know, into an Australian culture, which has an element, you know, big element of Western culture to it. You know, we were not born in, in the Middle East. We were not born in Africa. You know, so, so that's the first place. We're born into a culture which has in and of itself narratives and stories and beliefs that in some part, the second circle of the Venn diagram is the family. So there will be an influence of that culture in our family upbringing and environment. However, there'll be a divergence between all of us in terms of the family environments that we're born into. And then the th third circle is our lived experience. And how do we look at our lived experience and understand this distinction between what I call uh, assessments, our beliefs, and assertions, which are facts. And if we can separate, prize apart, you know, our beliefs from the facts, then we're at a pretty good place of understanding where our stories come from. That difference and the distinction between an assertion and an assessment, a fact and a belief, is one of the one of the most important distinctions that we can make in terms of being able to tell ourselves helpful stories and stories that are in service to our purpose and what we're trying to achieve. Indeed. And, and what I also believe, Shane, is that we can re-narrate re our stories. What does that mean? We can't re-narrate that I was at this school from that date to that day. I was born on that day. We cannot re-narrate that. We can't re-narrate the assertions. We can't re-narrate the facts. We can choose to re-narrate the assessments. We can look back on it and go, is that a helpful narrative? Is that a helpful story? Maybe not. Maybe not. Well, well how can I take that fact and look at it with the you know, with wisdom, with experience, with age, with other lived experiences? And can I make a choice to re-narrate it, see different things through it, which will serve me better? Uh, and if I, I'll give, if I may, I'll give you a personal example of that. You know, um, my definition of success in life um, was to be a CEO of a multi-billion, multi-million dollar organization. It was pretty binary. That, that for me was what success looked like, what success was. For two reasons, yes, I, uh, you know, absolutely, there was an element of ego in that, and it was also uh, what I hope was to provide an environment that I was the CEO of that organisation that provided a learning and a great environment for other people to learn and grow and deliver. Was that a very helpful narrative for me all the way through my, you know, my life, my career? At times, absolutely. At other times, absolutely not. It was, I'm going to say, it was potentially quite destructive um, or self-destructive because. I know at times I was looking for the next job and not being truly present in the one that I was in. 
Now, I've looked back at my career and in the last four years of, of being you know, in the world that I operate now as an executive coach and working with leaders, and I have chosen to re-narrate uh, what success looks like in my life. And it's truly in service of and for others to help them be the leaders that they want to be to deliver what they need to deliver for their, you know, in society, for their shareholders and for their, you know, for those in their, in their, um, in their teams. So that for me is a personal example of choosing to re-narrate my own story that I can have a more fulfilling life and be more in service to others to do what I do now more effectively. I love I love the language of re-narration because it allows us to feel more in control of our story than often at times we can feel out of control in many ways. But simply by the way that we respond and we re-narrate, we can take more ownership and intentionality around the story uh, that Absolutely. we create for ourselves. Absolutely. Uh, Connor, this has been such a helpful conversation because I think where we started this was around this idea of um, the visibility of, of our people. Can we uh, make the shift and the distinction from just focusing on the visibility of work getting done to actually are we producing the outcomes of that work getting done? And in order to do that, um, we need to be able to um, be trusting of, of the people that we're leading. Uh, and that means that... Um, it's the, the conversation that we often want to have is around the flexibility of our working actually is a conversation around trust. And the things that I'm really taking away from this is when I went into this conversation, it sounded much like, can I trust my people um, to be able to deliver on those outcomes? But where this is going, it's moving toward, towards is like, maybe if not more the conversation around why don't I trust if I don't? And is there stories that I might have that are not serving me in this kind of period of time? And what could I do to start to reiterate some of those stories? Um, for me, it's just been such a helpful progression in this conversation. Oh, thank you, Shane. Thank you. Uh, th there's one further element, if I may, if I may add, with regards to. So let's say we've worked through: Do I? Don't I trust myself? Why am I having those stories? And then in, back into the space of, um, you know, my team and trusting my team, and we've spoken about this this uh, risk factors of trust which you can overlay i want to take your word flexibility if i may and introduce one one possibly final thing in this conversation is the notion of what i call the legitimate other which is how am i holding the other person that i'm in a relationship with now that could be you know a small r you know person in my team but it could also be somebody who serves me in a supermarket or serves me at a petrol station or whatever it is you know arguably i'm in a relationship with you and i are in a relationship now in this conversation how am i holding this person as the legitimate other which means understanding where they're coming from so go to the venn diagram stories uh, picture or metaphor that i painted for you am i understanding their culture Am I understanding as much as I can their family lived experience and also their, you know, what they've done in their life and what is driving them? You know, what are their stories that are manifesting the way in which they are talking to me? And I think this element of flexibility comes into that space as well, is that I might have a view as to why, you know, you can work from home or not work from home. How do I hold this person as the legitimate other by understanding is it possible for them to work at home and not work from home? Which comes back to this idea that this is why we need we we feel we need to be in the office, and these are the types of activities that you can do from home. However, if you're not able to do those types of activities working from home, I, I am truly legitimizing and holding you as the legitimate other that that for your personal situation, I'm going to provide a safe environment for you to do that work, which is arguably working from homework, 
come into the office. We'll provide that environment for you to do that. So that's something else I would like to add in to to this conversation around flexibility. It really brings us back to, and and it's 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 quite funny in terms of the the title of your book about trust begins and ends with self, because much of the conversation that we would typically have around leadership and especially building trust tends to be about how do I get you to trust me, and really yeah. that you're bringing this conversation around around bringing the kind of holding the mirror up a little bit and th- thinking about trust more through the lens of self, which is just super helpful. Um, I'm mindful in terms of bringing this conversation into close. Is there something that you feel like is something you're observing right now, something you're noticing right now at a really practical level? I know you've given us so many like filters and models <laughs> and things that we could use like at a really practical level, things that would be helpful that you might leave someone with. Uh, let, let's go with, let's go with two things. Hashtag for the sake of what? Okay. (laughs) So, so the, the ultimate self accountability question, which arguably will take you back into self. So you're about to do something. You're about to say something before you do what you're about to do and, or say what you're about to say, which by the way, I would say is an act of doing. I'm very strong that language is action and saying is doing, but there's another conversation in there. (laughs) Ask yourself hashtag for the sake of what am I about to do this thing? And when you have an answer to that, then go and do it. And if you can't find an answer for that, we'll put it in, put it in the, you know, in the saved folders um, and come back to it. So that's one practical one. The second one is for, from a leadership perspective, and this doesn't matter whether you're the chair to the CEO, the CEO to the C-level, or, you know, let's go to the, the supervisor in a distribution center to the, to the warehouse operatives. I think this is equally applicable, is about making effective requests. And am I making an effective request? And critical to that is asking yourself these questions of the person you're about to make the request to. Does this person have the competency and the capacity to deliver on this request? Then have I laid out my standards very clearly as to what I expect this person to do, the standard to which I expect them to do it? And the fourth thing is, have I given them a timeline? And then finally, have the courage to then ask the person, are you clear? Am I clear? Have I been clear? Which leads to a commitment. And getting the commitment of the person to deliver on the request, you're halfway there. And as a leader, I make no apologies for this, it is your accountability to make clear and effective requests and think of competency, capacity, standard, timeline, and clarity. I love that. If someone who's listening to the podcast, I would go back the last 30 seconds and cut that audio and have that on repeat, write it down, take some notes, because that is a really helpful framework along with everything we've talked about today. And so Connor, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. And um, I know um, your book, Trust Begins and Ends with Self is out now. People can get it. It's on your website as well at connoromalley.com.au. But how else might people be able to connect with you? Uh, certainly through LinkedIn. So please, uh, you know, that that's my main, my main platform um, with anything that uh, raises, you know, any thoughts for somebody listening. Incredible. Thank you so much. And uh, just really appreciate it. And uh, I honestly wish you all the best with uh, the launch of the book and everything that's ahead for you. And likewise to you, Shane. Thank you very much indeed. Appreciate the time. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.